Section 7 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. The river itself was beautiful. The side which we had descended was a high and almost perpendicular mountain, and on both sides trees spread their branches over the water. It was called the River of Peace, but was now the dividing line of deadly war, the boundary between Guatemala and San Salvador. The inhabitants of the opposite side were in an enemy's country, and the routed troops, both of Morazan and Figueroa, had fled to it for refuge. Riding some distance up the stream, we worked our way across, and on the opposite side, found a wakal or drinking shell which had probably been left there by some flying soldier we drank from it as if it had been intended for our use and left it on the bank for the benefit of the next comer we were now in the state of guatemala on the banks of a wild river without any visible path and our situation was rather more precarious than before for here the routed soldiers would consider themselves safe, and probably many, after a day and night of toil and fighting, would lie down to rest. We were fortunate in regard to a path, for, riding a short distance through the woods along the bank of the river, we struck one which turned off to the left and terminated in the Camino Real, leading from the regular fording place. Here we dismissed our little guide, and set out on the main road the face of the country was entirely changed broken and stony and we saw no one till we reached the hacienda of palmita this too seemed desolate we entered the yard and did not see a single person till we pushed open the door of the house the proprietor was an old gentleman opposed to morazan who sat in the sala with his wife's saddle and his own and two bundles of bed and bedding packed up on the floor, ready for a start. He seemed to feel that it was too late, and with an air of submission answered our questions, and then asked us how many men we had with us. It was amusing that, while half frightened to death ourselves, we carried terror wherever we went. We relieved him by inquiring about Don Saturnino and our luggage, remounted and rode on in an hour we reached the hacienda of cacao where don saturnino was to sleep owing to the position of the ground we came suddenly upon the front of the house and saw under the piazza three cachureco soldiers eating tortillas they saw us at the same moment snatched up their muskets and ran but suddenly one stopped and leveled at us a blunderbuss the barrel looked as big as a church door, and seemed to cover both the captain and me. We were in awful danger of being shot by mistake, when one of them rushed back, knocked up the blunderbuss, and crying out, Amigos, los ingleses, gave us a chance to reach them. This amiable and sensible young cachureco vagabond, was one of those who had paid us a visit to beg a breakfast and a medio. Probably there never was a sixpence put out at better interest. He had seen us intimate with Figueroa, 
and taught by his betters to believe that general morazan was a cutthroat and murderer and not conceiving that we could be safe with him considered us sharers of the same danger and inquired how we had escaped as it turned out we were extremely happy to meet with these another party might have received us very differently and they relieved us in an important point for they told us that most of the routed soldiers had fled on the santa anna road don saturnino had passed the night at this hacienda and set out very early in the morning the soldiers returned to finish their meal and giving their thanks in payment set out again with us they had a good horse which they had stolen on the road and which they said paid them very well for the expedition and rode by turns barebacked passing el cacao their appearance created a sensation for they brought the first intelligence of the rout of figueroa this was ominous news for all had considered morazan completely crushed by his defeat at guatemala in his retreat he had avoided the villages and they did not know that he had escaped with so strong a force we endeavored to procure a guide but not a man could be induced to leave the village and we rode on in a short time it began to rain the road was very stony and we crossed a high bleak volcanic mountain late in the afternoon the captain conceived suspicions of the soldiers and we rode on very unceremoniously leaving them behind about five o'clock we avoided the road that led to a village and taking el camino de los partidos which was very rough and stony soon came to a place where there were branches and we were at a loss which to take but the course lay through a broad valley bounded by two ranges of mountains we felt sure that our road did not cross either of these ranges and these were our only guides a little before dark we passed beyond the range of mountains and on our right saw a road leading into the woods and presently heard the sound of a bell and saw through the trees a hacienda to arrive at which we had to go on some distance and then turn back by a private road it was situated in a large clearing with cucinera and sheds and a large sugar mill twenty or thirty workmen principally indians were assembled to give an account of their day's work and receive orders for the next our appearance created a great sensation the proprietors of the hacienda two brothers stood in the door while we were talking with the men and we rode up and asked permission to stop there for the night the elder assented but with an embarrassment that showed the state of alarm and suspicion existing in the country the gentleman wore the common hacienda dress and the interior was miserably poor but had a hammock and two rude frames with matting over them for beds there was a small room adjoining in which was the wife of one of them with a child the proprietors were men of education and intelligence thoroughly acquainted with the condition of the country and we told them what had happened at aguachapa and that we were hurrying on to guatemala we had supper at a small table placed between the hammock and one of the beds consisting of fried eggs frijoles and tortillas 
as usual, without knife, fork, or spoon. After supper our elder host was called out, but in a few minutes returned and, closing the door, told us that there was a great excitement among the workmen on our account. They did not believe our story of going on to Guatemala, for a woman had seen us come in from the Guatemala road, and they believed that we were officers of Morazan retreating from the attack on Guatemala and endeavoring to escape into San Salvador. Here was a ground of suspicion we had not anticipated. The gentleman was much agitated. He regretted that he was obliged to violate the laws of hospitality, but said we knew the distracted state of the country and the frenzy of party spirit. He himself was against Morazan. His men were violent cachurecos, and at this moment capable of committing any outrage. He had incurred great peril by receiving us for a moment under his roof, and begged us, both for our sake and his, to leave his house, adding that, even if we were of those unfortunate men, our horses should be brought up and we should go away unharmed. More he could not promise. Now, if we had really been the fugitives he supposed us, we should, no doubt, have been thankful for his kindness. But to be turned out by mistake, in a dark night, an unknown country, and without any guide, was almost as bad as coming at us with a blunderbuss. Fortunately, he was not a suspicious man. If he had been another Don Gregorio, we should have Quotes, walked Spanish, and, more fortunately still, my pertinacity had secured Figueroa's passport. It was the only thing that could have cleared our character. I showed it to him, pointing out to the extra flourish which the secretary had made of plenipotentiario, and I believe he was not more astonished at finding who had honored him by taking possession of his house than pleased that we were not Morazan's officers. Though an intelligent man, he had passed a retired life on his hacienda. He had heard of such a thing as a ministro plenipotentiario, but had never seen one. My accoutrements and the eagle on my hat sustained the character, and he called in the majordomo and two leading men on the hacienda, read to them the passport, and explained to them the character of a ministro plenipotentiario, while I sat up on the bed with my coat off and hat on to show the eagle, and the captain suppressed all partialities for Morazan and talked of my intimacy with Carrera. The people are so suspicious that, having once formed an idea, they do not willingly abandon it and it was uncertain whether all this would satisfy them. But our host was warm in his efforts, and the majordomo was flattered by being made the medium of communicating with the men, and his influence was at stake in satisfying them. It is one of Talleyrand's maxims never to do today what you can put off till tomorrow. On this occasion, at least, of my diplomatic career, I felt the benefit of the old opposite rule. From the moment I saw Figueroa, 
I had an eye only to getting his passport, and did not rest until I had it in my pocket. If we had waited to receive this with his letters, we should now have been in a bad position. If we escaped immediate violence, we should have been taken to the village, shut up in the cabildo, and exposed to all the dangers of an ignorant populace, at that moment excited by learning the success of Morazan and the defeat of Figueroa. In setting out, our idea was that, if taken by the Cachurecos, we should be carried up to Guatemala. But we found that there was no accountability to Guatemala. The people were in a state to act entirely from impulses, and nothing could induce any party of men to set out for Guatemala, or under any circumstances, to go further than from village to village. This difficulty over, the major-domo promised us a guide before daylight for the next village. At three o'clock we were wakened by the creaking of the sugar-mill. We waited till daylight for a guide, but as none came, we bade farewell to our kind host and set out alone. The name of the hacienda is San Jose, but in the hurry of my movements I never learned the name of the proprietor. In the constant revolutions of Central America, it may happen that he will one day be flying for his life. In his hour of need, may he meet a heart as noble as his own. At a distance of five leagues, we reached the rancho of Ocotilla, where Don Saturnino and our men had slept. The road lay in a magnificent ravine with a fine bottomland and noble mountain sides. We passed through the straggling settlements of Oratorio and Leon, mostly single huts, where several times we saw women snatch up their children and run into the woods at sight of us. Bury the war-knife, and this valley would be equal to the most beautiful in Switzerland. At twelve o'clock we came upon four posts with a thatched roof, occupied by a scouting party of Cachureco soldiers. We should have been glad to avoid them, but they could not have judged so from the way in which we shouted, Amigos! We inquired for Carrera, expected to meet him on the road. Figueroa had told us he was coming. Figueroa had entered Aguachapa, and, taking special good care not to tell them that Figueroa had been driven out, we bade them good-bye and hurried on. At twelve o'clock we reached the Rio de los Esclavos, a wild and noble river, the bridge across which is the greatest structure in Central America, a memorial of the Spanish dominion. We crossed it and entered the village, a mere collection of huts, standing in a magnificent situation on the bank of the river, looking up to a range of giant mountains on the other side, covered to the top with noble pines. The miserable inhabitants were insensible to its beauties, but there were reasons to make them so. Every hostile expedition between Guatemala and San Salvador passed through their village. Twice within one week Morazan's party had done so. The inhabitants carried off what they could, and, locking their doors, fled to the mountains. 
the last time morazan's party was so straitened for provisions and pressed by fear of pursuit that huts were torn down for firewood and bullocks slain and eaten half raw in the street without bread or tortillas at two we set off again and from the village entered a country covered with lava at four we reached the hacienda of corral de piedra situated on the crest of a stony country looking like a castle very large with church and village where though it rained we did not stop for the whole village seemed to be intoxicated opposite one house we were hailed by a cachureco officer so tipsy that he could hardly sit on his horse who came at us and told us how many of morazan's men he had killed a little before dark riding through a forest in the apprehension that we were lost we emerged suddenly from the woods and saw towering before us the great volcanoes of agua and fuego and at the same moment were hailed by the joyful shouts of don saturnino and our men they had encamped in a small hut on the borders of a large plain and the mules were turned out to pasture don saturnino had been alarmed about us but he had followed our parting injunction to go on as if any accident had happened he could be of more service in guatemala they had not met morazan's army having been at a hacienda off the road when it passed and hurrying on had not heard of the rout of figueroa the rancho consisted of a single small room barely large enough for the man and woman who occupied it but there was plenty of room out of doors after a rough ride of more than fifty miles with the most comfortable reflection of being but one day from guatemala i soon fell asleep the next morning one of the mules was missing and we did not get off till eight o'clock toward evening we descended a long hill and entered the plain of guatemala it looked beautiful and i never thought i should be so happy to see it again i had finished a journey of twelve hundred miles and the gold of peru could not have tempted me to undertake it again at the gate the first man i saw was my friend don manuel pavon i could but think if morazan had taken the city where would he be now carrera was not in the city he had set out in pursuit of morazan but on the road received intelligence which induced him to turn off for quetzaltenango i learned with deep satisfaction that not one of my acquaintances was killed and as i afterward found not one of them had been in the battle i gave don manuel the first intelligence of general morazan not a word had been heard of him since he left the antigua nobody had come up from that direction the people were still too frightened to travel and the city had not recovered from its spasm of terror as we advanced i met acquaintances who welcomed me back to guatemala i was considered as having run the gauntlet for life and escape from dangers created a bond between us i could hardly persuade myself that the people who received me so cordially and whom i was really glad to meet again were the same whose expulsion by morazan 
I had considered probable. If he had succeeded, not one of them would have been there to welcome me. Repeatedly I was obliged to stop and tell over the affair of Aguachapa, how many men Morazan had, what officers, whether I spoke to him, how he looked, and what he said. I introduced the captain. Each had his circle of listeners, and the captain, as a slight indemnification for his forced viva carreras on the road, feeling on his arrival once more among civilized and well-dressed people a comparative security for liberty of speech, said that if Morazan's horses had not been so tired, every man of Figueroa's would have been killed. Unhappily, I could not but see that our news would have been more acceptable if we could have reported Morazan completely prostrated, wounded, or even dead. As we advanced, I could perceive that the sides of the houses were marked by musket balls, and the fronts on the plaza were fearfully scarified. My house was near the plaza, and three musket balls, picked out of the woodwork, were saved for my inspection as a sample of the battle. In an hour after my arrival, I had seen nearly all my old friends. Engrossed by my own troubles, I had not imagined the full extent of theirs. I cannot describe the satisfaction with which I found myself once more among them, and for a little while, at least, at rest. I still had anxieties. I had no letters from home, and Mr. Catherwood had not arrived. But I had no uneasiness about him, for he was not in the line of danger, and when I lay down I had the comfortable sensation that there was nothing to drive me forward the next day. The captain took up his abode with me. It was an odd finale to his expedition against Guatemala, but after all it was better than remaining at the port. Great changes had taken place in Guatemala since I left and it may not be amiss here to give a brief account of what had occurred in my absence. The reader will remember the treaty between Carrera and Guzman, the general of the state of Los Altos, by which the former surrendered to the latter the four hundred old muskets. Since that time Guatemala had adopted Carrera, or had been adopted by him, I hardly knew which, and on the ground that the distrust formerly entertained of him no longer existed, demanded a restitution of the muskets to him. The state of Los Altos refused. This state was, at that time, the focus of liberal principles, and Quetzaltenango, the capital, was the asylum of liberals banished from Guatemala. Apprehending, or pretending to apprehend, an invasion from that state, and using the restitution of the four hundred worthless muskets as a pretext, Carrera marched against Quetzaltenango with one thousand men. The Indians, believing that he came to destroy the whites, assisted him. Guzman's troops deserted him, and Carrera, with his own hands, took him prisoner, sick and encumbered with a greatcoat, in the act of dashing his horse down a deep ravine to escape. He sent to Guatemala Guzman's military coat, with the names of Omoa, 
Trujillos and other places where Guzman had distinguished himself in the service of the Republic labeled on it, and a letter to the government stating that he had sent the coat as a proof that he had taken Guzman. A gentleman told me that he saw this coat on its way, stuck on a pole, and paraded by an insulting rabble around the plaza of the Antigua. After the battle, Carrera marched to the capital, deposed the chief of the state and other officials, garrisoned it with his own soldiers, and not understanding the technical distinctions of state lines, destroyed its existence as a separate state and annexed it to Guatemala, or rather to his own command. In honor of his distinguished services, public notice was given that on Monday the 17th he would make his triumphal entry into Guatemala, and on that day he did enter, under arches erected across the streets, amid the firing of cannon, waving of flags, and music, with General Guzman personally known to all the principal inhabitants, who but a year before had hastened at their piteous call to save them from the hands of the same Carrera, placed sidewise on a mule, with his feet tied under him, his face so bruised, swollen, and disfigured by stones and blows of machetes that he could not be recognized, and the prisoners tied together with ropes, and the chief of the state, secretary of state, and secretary of the constituent assembly rode by Carrera's side in this disgraceful triumph. General Guzman was one of those who had been liberated from prison by General Morazan. He had escaped from the plaza with the remnant of his forces, but unable to endure the fatigues of the journey, he was left behind, secreted on the road, and General Morazan told me that in consequence of the cruelty exercised upon him and the horrible state of anxiety in which he was kept, reason had deserted its throne, and his once strong mind was gone. From this time the city settled into a volcanic calm, quivering with apprehensions of an attack by General Morazan, a rising of the Indians, and a war of castes, and startled by occasional rumors that Carrera intended to bring Guzman and the prisoners out into the plaza and shoot them. On the 14th of March, intelligence was received from Figueroa that General Morazan had crossed the Rio Paz and was marching against Guatemala. This swallowed up all other apprehensions. Carrera was the only man who could protect the city. On the 15th, he marched out with 900 men towards Arazola, leaving the plaza occupied by 500 men. Great gloom hung over the city. The same day, Morazan arrived at the Corral de Piedra, 11 leagues from Guatemala. On the 16th, the soldiers commenced erecting parapets on the corners of the plaza. Many Indians came in from the villages to assist, and Carrera took up his position at the Aicetuna, a league and a half from the city. On the 17th, Carrera rode into the city, and with the chief of the state and others, went around to visit the fortifications and rouse the people to arms. At noon, he returned to the Aicetuna, and at four o'clock, 
intelligence was received that morazan's army was descending the cuesta del pinula the last range before reaching the plain of guatemala the bells tolled the alarm and great consternation prevailed in the city morazan's army slept that night on the plain before daylight he marched upon the city and entered the gate of buena vista leaving all his cavalry and part of his infantry at the plaza de toros and on the heights of calvario under colonel cabanes to watch the movements of carrera and with seven hundred men occupied the plaza of guadalupe depositing his park equipage a hundred women more or less of whom always accompany an expedition in that country and all his train in the hospital of san juan de dios hence he sent perez and rivas with four or five hundred men to attack the plaza these passed up a street descending from the centre of the city and while covered by the brow of the hill climbed over the yard wall of the church of escuela de cristo and passed through the church into the street opposite the mint in the rear of one side of the plaza twenty-seven indians were engaged in making a redoubt at the door and twenty-six bodies were found on the ground nine killed and seventeen wounded when i saw it the ground was still red with blood entering the mint the invaders were received with a murderous fire along the corridor but forcing their way through they broke open the front portal and rushed into the plaza the plaza was occupied by the five hundred men left by carrera and two or three hundred indians who fell back closed up near the porch of the cathedral and in a few moments all fled leaving the plaza with all their ammunition in the possession of the assailants rivera paz and don luis bartres the chief and secretary of the state were in the plaza at the time and but few other white citizens carrera did not want white soldiers and would not permit white men to be officers many young men had presented themselves in the plaza and were told that there were no arms in the meantime carrera strengthened by masses of indians from the villages around attacked the division on the heights of calvario morazan with the small force left at san juan de dios went to the assistance of cabanes the battle lasted an hour and a half fierce and bloody and fought hand to hand morazan lost some of his best officers sanchez was killed by sotero carrera a brother of the general carrera and morazan met and carrera says that he cut morazan's saddle nearly in two morazan was routed pursued so closely that he could not take up his equipage and hurried on to the plaza having lost three hundred muskets four hundred men killed wounded and prisoners and all his baggage at ten o'clock his whole force was penned up in the plaza surrounded by an immense mass of indian soldiers and fired upon from all the corners manning the parapets and stationing pickets on the roofs of the houses he kept up a galling fire in return pent up in this fearful position morazan had time to reflect but a year before 
he was received with ringing of bells firing of cannon joyful acclamations and deputations of grateful citizens as the only man who could save them from carrera and destruction among the few white citizens in the plaza at the time of the entry of the soldiers was a young man who was taken prisoner and brought before general morazan the latter knew him personally and inquired for several of his old partisans by name asking whether they were not coming to join him the young man answered that they were not and morazan and his officers seemed disappointed no doubt he had expected a rising of citizens in his favor and again to be hailed as a deliverer from carrera in san salvador i had heard that he had received urgent solicitations to come up but whatever had been contemplated there was no manifestation of any such intention on the contrary the hoarse cry was ringing in his ears muera el tirano muera el general morazan popular feeling had undergone an entire revolution or else it was kept down by the masses of indians who came in from the villages around to defend the city against him end of section seven